we thank you for this opportunity tonight to look at uh, more folks that you preserve their stories in the scripture for us, Lord. May we be able to glean characteristics and, and lessons from the life of Paul. And uh, we pray also for safety for those out there. If there is some issues with flooding, Lord, that you would keep those who are coming here safe as well. And us also on our way home. So we just commit this time to you and thank you for this opportunity in Yeshua's name. Amen. Um, just to give you a bit of a, a uh, where are the rest of the notes? Right here. Okay. Just in case. I probably should put some of them out for any folks who uh, walk through and make grand entrances, uh, as some of our folks are fond of doing or end up doing. Uh, just to give you a heads up of what we anticipate taking place the next uh, few weeks. Uh, tonight is Paul 1. Uh, next Wednesday night is Paul 2. Uh, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, the third week is the heroines. Not like the dope heroine, but <laughs> the women heroine uh, in, in the book of Acts. Uh, we don't have them quite as much prominence, at least visibly, but they're definitely there and active and serving. And uh, then uh, the fourth week, we will not have Bible study. We'll have uh, the entire time on Wednesday night for, for prayer. That's part of prayer week, which begins with the um, praise night on Sunday. Praise night on Sunday, then uh, from Monday to Thursday, it's prayer week. So just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay, um, what do I mean by Paul 1 and Paul 2? That's uh, not a scriptural designation, in case you wonder. Um, there's obviously an awful lot um, to look at when we consider the life of Paul. I mean... Uh, I think I, if you were here uh, last uh, uh, Wednesday, no, not last Wednesday. I was not here last Wednesday. I was in Toronto uh, two two weeks ago. Uh, we talked about the fact that Peter, uh, the first few chapters of the book of Acts, from chapter 1 to uh, chapter 11, he is the dominant figure, uh, just like he was, with the disciples of Yeshua. Anytime an answer was needed, Peter was right there, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, obviously, when we come to chapters 12 through uh, to the end of the book, Paul is the dominant figure, and we need to remember that um, the, the book of, of Acts as well as Luke was written by the same guy, right? Luke. Uh, and that Luke was a companion to, to Paul, which makes sense why we have such a uh, large emphasis on Paul, but simply because uh, Paul played a very dominant <coughs> role uh, in, the first, in the second half of the book of Acts. So um, I, I felt the absolute need to divide it into two simply because uh, what we've wanted to do uh, is look at each of the heroes in the book of Acts as much as possible from three dimensions. Because sometimes we read uh, what the Word gives us and we have a fairly flat notion of who they are. We really don't know much and we don't pause to think um, of who they were and what their character was like and because without that we assume that somehow God took guys or, or women and just powered them up and they went to town there was obviously a lot and, and God and the reason why we wanted to do that is because that's how God works with us uh, he takes us and with all our stuff and he does his work with us and so we wanted to, to learn from the heroes, the characters of the book of Acts, um, how God worked with them. 
So we spend a bunch of time looking at their life and and their foibles and sometimes their failures. Uh, and I, for one, am delighted. Uh, not because I'm sadistic, but I'm delighted that Scripture gives us a full-orbed presentation of the men and women of God so that we see them because without that they would be up in a pedestal and we would have no reason whatsoever to emulate them because they would be so clearly beyond us. Fortunately, God sees to it that uh, Scripture preserves a, uh, a three-dimensional picture of the men and women of God um, A, because that's how they live but, but secondly, because that's what we needed in terms of understanding the record, the record of Scripture um, and um, Paul was definitely uh, not what you call a flat two-dimensional person uh, you talk about personality that was Paul and so without that uh, we really don't understand what he has to say and part of what we've seen unfortunately is that fellow believers only read what Paul writes in the epistles and they don't bother to look at and who he was the record of his life uh, and so because of that the notes yeah. because of that uh, they come away with what we consider to be a fairly uh, warped or, or, or misunderstood picture of what it is that Paul is saying uh, so we anticipate that next, next week under Paul 2 we would look at some of what Paul has to say uh, in the epistles particularly uh, about some of the things that are real crucial to us and that is what Paul has to say about the Torah because people typically walk away thinking that Paul was anti-Torah that in other words he he was saying to, to people uh, don't worry about the law of Moses and so on that's not for you to worry about and so Again, this is where we hope to go. Um, obviously, part of that w- will be will involve um, Paul's ministry, because there are huge lessons to be learned from how Paul talked to different different people, different audiences. Uh, you don't see him taking the same approach uh, to the pagans. If you remember the pagans in Lystra and Derby. Uh, different approach than what he did to the Jewish audience in the synagogue. Totally different approach. Same, same message of good news. Totally different approach. So, we may get to do some of that uh, tonight. If not, we'll go into next week with that. But first of all, what do we know about Paul? What bits of information do you have? Um, without reading it off the notes. Highly educated from Tarsus. Highly educated. In what way? Um, he's, uh, he's a teacher. Okay, that, that he is. Yeah. How was he educated? I believe uh, Hellenistic. Wasn't it part Hellenistic? And, uh, Def- Tarsus is part of a Roman Empire, isn't it? Uh, Tarsus was definitely one of the major hubs of the Roman Empire. Like a lot of the places Paul and Barnabas and the others went to, it was in what was called then Asia Minor, which is uh, today Turkey, uh, Central Turkey. Um, uh, Tarsus was actually further further east. But um, yeah, so one thing people don't realize is Paul was current with uh, Greek and Roman uh, writings, literature. Uh, I don't know if he knew that, but he quotes from a couple of different poets, Greek poets. Uh, one was in his speech uh, in, in, in Athens, uh, where he quotes one poet that said, In him we live and move and have our being. 
that was Paul quoting from a, a pagan prophet. A wonderful, wonderful principle, uh, and it kind of shows us how God uses wisdom sometimes from people you wouldn't expect. Uh, and then when he writes to Titus, who was in the island of Crete, Crete is a little island in the Mediterranean, he says to them, uh, uh, rebuke, rebuke these guys because they're lazy, good-for-nothings. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And this is one of their poets says the same thing. Epimenides, uh, 600 years before, made the same statement. So it's kind of intriguing that Paul knows all this stuff, uh, well-educated, Okay. What? He, he must have been from an affluent family then, would you say? How affluent? Well, enough to make all this happen, to connect with all these learning centers. And enough to be a Roman citizen. Ah! ah. Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen, which meant, uh, if you were not born in, in Rome itself, what did you have to do in order to get Roman citizenship? Pay. You macher and pay money. Pay, pay good money. His father was well enough to acquire Roman citizenship. It has been ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing some more. Um, so, yeah, his, his father uh, came from an affluent family. When Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, what does that mean? Educated in, in Jewish thought. He's educated in Jewish thought, but there's more to it. Hebrew of the Hebrews means that even though his family was in in a Greek and Roman culture, his family were not Hellenistic Jews. Really? Yes. Even Which means he has the education? Even though he had the education, they were not Hellenistic. Hellenistic Jews were people, A, who spoke uh, Greek as their primary language. Yeah and B, were uh, inclined towards, more towards Greek thinking. And the culture. And the culture. Assimilation, exactly. And so Hebrew of the Hebrews most likely means that, that the family spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. So he kept his identity intact and everything of who he is. And absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people have this silly notion that his name was Saul, and then Yeshua knocked him off his donkey and he became Paul. What's wrong with that picture? It's kind of like making him not Jewish. With that. But what's the real problem with that? Jews always have a Hebrew name. Jews always had a Hebrew name. So like, for example, and I'm going to pick on Joy, her father was, his Hebrew name was Chaim. But he went by Harold because uh, Jewish children were given Hebrew names at their circumcision or <coughs> girls at their naming ceremony. Uh, but then they had they had their English names, uh, and that was the same thing in that kind of a culture. So Saul and Paul or Paulus, um, so definitely kept his culture. What else do we know about Paul or Saul? Uh, and his background, his training. He was educated by the Sanhedrin, the leader of the Sanhedrin, Gamliel. Gamliel, exactly. Not the leader, because the he was one of the key people, key leaders. The Sanhedrin was, was led by the high priest. Uh, but yeah, he was... Uh, Gamaliel, remember, what do, you, what do you know about Gamaliel? He was like the greatest rabbi at the time, wasn't he? Well, he was one of the leading rabbis at the time. What does the book of Acts tell us about Gamaliel? He was a very educated teacher. Okay, I'm fishing for something. Let's see was, what the good books... Wasn't he the one that, uh, that basically said, uh, if this is from God, there's nothing you can do about it, and if it isn't from God, it'll go away. Yeah. Yeah. Here... He talks to the sent to the fellow Sanhedrin members and says to them about the followers of Yeshua, specifically about, about John and Peter, uh, you guys want to 
to cow them into silence and beat them and do all that stuff. That's God's problem. It's basically what he's saying. If it is from God, it will stand. If it's not from God, it will not stand. So what does it tell you about Gamaliel? He's a godly fellow. He, a godly fellow and had a lot of wisdom. So Paul was brought up under Gamaliel. Okay? Um... No question. Sir, ma'am. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I get called sir. Yeah. But nowadays it's not so good. Transgender stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whoops. No, 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 I don't mean that. It's just I wonder sometimes. If because I'm, I'm tall, if if people think I am a man switching to a woman or something, you know, just because of my height. Dear, yeah. that was just a, a senior moment. Please, <laughs> please okay, continue. You know, think about these things since things are changing. Um, I wondered how, um, like your average Jewish boy, um, how much education he had because he could read and write Hebrew, right? So, right. like, how much? So, Paul like went to college compared to other Jewish people, right? But Paul Paul was a whole lot more educated than the average Jewish boy was. Uh, because he was in Tarsus, and the impression I have was that he was specifically sent to Jerusalem uh, to, to learn there, and that in Jerusalem he ended up studying under Gamaliel. Now, think about it. If, if you are uh, some kid from, from someplace... Uh, you don't just end up studying under one of the biggest shots in all in all of Israel. So obviously, part of it was the the power and influence of his of his father. Part of it, obviously, was that Paul was a bright boy. Saul was a bright boy, and that as he came to Jerusalem and studied, he probably rose through the ranks. But but most they could could most. Um, Hebrew boys read the scriptures like even after they got married they'd read them at home or did they, I mean they wouldn't even have a copy I mean a copy no. would be extremely expensive right correct yeah the, 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 your average Jewish family did not have a scroll of the Torah or, or scroll of the prophets obviously uh, but they they had some some basic education if for nothing else for no other reason to be able to read from the Torah during during the during the uh, synagogue service, uh, and so there was some education, more or less, depending on on the on the, the child, how bright they were, depending on how influential the family was, and again, this in this case, uh, he comes from Tarsus in Asia Minor to Jerusalem, where he basically grows up. Paul says, "I grew up here in 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 this city." So, uh, for him to be able to train by Gamaliel means that there was a connection with the family, and B that he was bright enough to where they brought uh, one of the best minds in in the country to to tutor him. If they were taken on by a rabbi, huh? my, my understanding is if if someone is accepted by a rabbi to be their disciple. disciple. Right. They're with them like twenty four seven from that point. Is that accurate? Uh, or virtually? Within reason. Um, but but yes. Uh, remember that to be trained under Gamaliel didn't just mean you come and sit for a couple of classes per week. Uh, discipleship meant a personal relationship and interaction with a person. In addition to the things that they taught you. Uh, specific bits of information that, that you learn from them. Sir, Paul? Um, I've heard uh, some teachings to be in the Sanhedrin that you had to be had to have a wife. Is that correct? And of course, through Paul, we don't ever see any... Uh, and, and we can argue that point until the cows come home. Uh, was Paul married or not married? Possibly. Uh, in Corinthians, he said... Isn't it the privilege of an apostle to have a wife, to take a wife unto himself? Uh, it's possible that he had a wife, possible that she died. 
who knows? Uh, but yes, it, it would have been unusual for a guy in his age, in his uh, learning, not, not to have become married. And we, he was not in the Sanhedrin, per se. Uh, he was not old enough to be a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, but he was clearly someone who had the authority to represent the Sanhedrin. So you, you all remember the stoning of Stephen. Acts, let's turn to that. Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. We'll spend a little bit of time here. Seven hmm? Seven yeah. Why don't you read it, David? No, I mean, it's tremendous amount of text. You know, so you say, no, I think it's seven eight. Um, 7 verse 54 verse. yeah give me a second here uh, yeah it's 754 okay. 754 okay would you read it please have it in my notes for some reason, or maybe I do. I'm going to read that one verse, maybe I missed your point. Okay, when they heard these things, they began, they became enraged and began gnashing their teeth at him. No, that's, no, 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 that's, that's not, uh, that's not it. Yeah. Uh, we are in, um, well, if you read on to the end of yeah, 59 7, is that what you're not yeah, sure it's 57 you're to the end of the chapter. Thing is all the, so the final phrase is, in Saul was there giving approval to his death right Help, I need somebody. Is this you, you want to show where, where, where Saul was there at the stoning? Correct. Yeah, verse, verse 60, well, verse 60, wait, where is it? I'm sorry. Actually, next chapter. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, the beginning of chapter... Uh, yeah, uh, they they laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. That's not as clear. Uh, l l let me find. Um, Are you talking about where Saul was in agreement with him? Yes. That's eight it's one. eight one. Okay. Uh, would you read that? Now Saul was in agreement with Stephen's ex ah, there it is. execution. On that day, a great persecution arose against Messiah's community in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, and Samaria, except the emissaries. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So, so the point in, in 8.1 is that you have a mob scene uh, who are uh, spitting bullets and just going nuts. However, uh, Paul, Saul, uh, was consenting... To, to their action. In other words, before they can go ahead and stone Stephen, uh, Saul had to sign off on it and say, I represent the Sanhedrin and I have the authority to say to you, you guys go ahead. In other words, it wasn't just that people were taking clothes laying at his feet, but, uh, but they were looking to him to say, go ahead, go or not go. Which, which is pretty amazing. Uh, what that means is that he had to have a significant amount of authority as a representative of the Sanhedrin in order for him to be able to do that. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, that's not how it appears to me. It appears to me that he said that after the fact. Um... Because he had already died when it says on, in 8.1, now Saul was in agreement with Stephen's execution. It didn't say he had, he had approved it in advance. Well, that's, that's how I read it, honey. That he was giving, um, he was there, he had, he had given approval. He had, he had consented, which as I read it meant that before people could go ahead, uh, they were looking to him to to give the, the approval. Yeah, Jay, Joy. Well, in 
verse 58 where it talks about the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. To me, that almost says, well, they weren't just screwing their clothes everywhere. They specifically laid them at Saul's feet. Almost Correct. like a, mo uh, a motion of, we're asking your approval, so we're laying our clothes it, at your feet. The, the, the looking to Saul for approval is definitely the case. They were not just saying, here, boy, you take my clothes. Uh, what what's the what what does that all right they laid the, their their cloaks at his feet I, I don't understand that significance well it's it's you have to combine that with eight one uh, because together they're laying the clothes at his feet and and it's the action of with that with eight one Paul is consenting. It, it's, he's in agreement with them, um, which meant they would not have gone ahead and stoned Stephen unless he had given them uh, agreement. So it's like a, a tacit deferring to him. We lay our clothes at your feet, and we're asking for your approval tacitly. Absolutely, it absolutely. Sounds, it sounds preparatory, George, to me. Like, <clears throat> like if you're going to fight someone, you know, you get yourself. It seems like they're preparing to get busy with stoning. Right. You know, unencumbering themselves, perhaps. Hmm. This is my speculation. Yeah, no, that's. It's like you would say, if, like if somebody, if someone took the show, hey, relax, don't do that kind of thing. But I think in accepting it is like, yeah, have at it. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely the uh, authorizing action on, on Saul's part uh, because you see, uh, you see that as time goes on, um, he has greater and greater authority from the high priest. Uh, to go and carry out carry out more of this, so it, it kind of fits in with with the rest of the narrative, um, and and he is uh, for him the ends seem to justify the means. Now think about it. Uh, you can see coming into a synagogue, and by the way, to come to a synagogue uh, was unheard of, and and. Uh, way out, way over the top. You don't come to a synagogue to grab somebody, um, and you certainly don't come to. Perhaps you come to to grab uh, a, a man or two, but you don't come to grab women. That was that was not considered to be appropriate. The other thing is, who was in the synagogue? Messiah's community. Yeah, the believers. Jewish believers were in there. Believers were in there, along with everybody else, uh, observing the Shabbat and, and, and other other f festivals and so on, uh, which is reinforcing what we see early in the book of Acts, that the believers were part and parcel of the Jewish community, both as far as the temple um, worship and synagogue worship. Uh, then in chapter chapter nine, verse three, um, you see that it, it's even more intense. Um, uh, chapter, excuse me, chapter nine, verse one. Saul was still breathing out mur murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, think about the degree of hatred we see here. He is not interested in just taking people and putting them to jail. He is interested in actually getting them killed in order to do what? Get rid of the believers. Get rid of the believers, not just as individual believers, but get rid of the community of believers. Um, and he has, um, yeah, he has uh, letters authorizing him to to do that again from the Sanhedrin. So part of the picture, you know, and and we've seen this, you know, we've seen the scenario that takes place in chapter nine. I don't know about you, I, I just reread it and it was pretty amazing. 
he is not walking because to go from Jerusalem to um, to Damascus, That's a, a guy like way. him, huh? That's a long way. That's a long way. Uh, most likely, he'll be riding a donkey. So he sees the light, and he falls to the ground. The Lord knocks him off the donkey. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the Lord speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Uh, his response is, "Who are you, Lord?" Now again, remember that that the word Lord can be uh, fairly generic in a sense of master uh, or even boss. But in this case, what does Lord mean? Well, if somebody's talking to you from above, you must guess it was God. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Paul is not stupid. Saul is not stupid. He gets it. And and notice, why does Yeshua say, why do you persecute me? Yeah, but but still, why does Yeshua say, why do you persecute me? Because he was going after people who believed in Yeshua. There is the identification between Yeshua and his disciples, his body. In other words, you come against me, you come against them, you come against me. Yeah? Can I go back and revisit the stoning part? So... It, t- it talks about how they laid their cloaks at Paul's feet and they stoned Stephen right then and there. Right. There was no taking him to prison or anything like that or before the Sanhedrin. But later on, when it talks about how Saul goes on and he's like ripping people out of houses and taking them to jail. Out of synagogues. Or out of the synagogues, I'm sorry. Right. Why? And then later even still, it talks about him taking them before, I think, the, the priest. So why... So he had the authority on scene there right. to have him stoned. But then later, why does he bother taking them before the priest? Why don't they just take him out and stone him every, as they find them? My, my uh, thought about that is that Stephen um, brought upon himself the wrath of the entire Sanhedrin. Yeah, he, uh, That's why they he opened him. his mouth and, and he was pretty inflammatory. He, he was inflammatory and... So he deserved... To get stoned right now. because it was blasphemy and that was the only category that the Sanhedrin had had authority under the Romans to put someone to death um, but it was the the Sanhedrin uh, as a whole in in Paul's case he had the authority to act in a more limited capacity was it common to like the executioner to strip their clothing so they don't get any blood on them? Because I read something on, you know, on my phone. I was just checking Google and stuff like that, and it was kind of interesting because it touched on the point of Paul being approved and guarding the clothing of the ex- of the executioners. Because I mean, Paul is not guarding their clothes. Seems like they threw it at him because he was someone that they trusted. No, 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 no. It it had nothing to the do. Kind of clothes that they wore. Look. If think about the stoning action, yeah, um, it, it gets you hot and sweaty. Yeah, that's what they were saying, and that, that they took off they took off part of their garments so they can. Yeah, kill. but but it, it had nothing to do with Paul actually guarding their clothes. It was a sign of, uh, of approval. Of approval. Yeah, yeah, it did say that, but it, it also the way they they made it seem that Greek and Roman culture. You know, guarding the, the garments of the executioners of actually being an approval of that. Uh, this is a Jewish culture, which may be a little different, but um, weren't also people that were going to get uh, stoned also stripped of their clothing too before they got stoned? No, you're. I, I, I think I and think you you're making a connection okay. be, between I'm that just, and, and crucifixion. Okay. So, anyways, there, there, um, there, there are some pieces that we know, some pieces we don't know. Yeah. Um, so the the short version is that um, 
Paul gets knocked off his donkey, he gets the fact that this is God talking to him. And and he comes to, to Damascus. Blind. Now, huh? Blind. Blind. Uh, you can see that, that his his whole world has been turned upside down. Uh, he was going this way, now he's he's blind. Uh, and totally out of commission, he's not eating, not, not drinking, nothing. And and then this guy comes, Ananias. Um, and God says uh, to him, Ananias, um, I have a crazy commission for you. Uh, I want you to go and talk to this guy who has this horrid reputation of wanting to kill everybody. And he, he says the same thing Moses said. Not me. I'm not going. And uh, and, and the Lord gets a hold of Ananias <laughs> as as he likes to do. And uh, um, and what's interesting is here to Ananias, which I'm sure he communicated that same message uh, to Saul. Uh, in, in verse 15, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Um, was anybody preaching to Gentiles at this point? Uh, Philip was the only one who was doing that with the Samaritan and with the Ethiopian. Peter had not yet uh, been sent to go speak to to uh, Cornelius's and Cornelius and his house. So here at this point, God already saying, Saul, you are chosen. The other piece of of the commission that I don't know if you caught. Uh, I will show him verse sixteen how much he must suffer from my name. I mean that's you want to say okay, Lord. Uh, Maybe going to the Gentiles, okay, I must suffer. Uh, so we see a, how God got a hold of him. Ananias um, lays hand on him. He is filled with the Spirit. What what does Paul b- begin uh, to do? Does he say, okay, Ananias, I want you to talk to me. Tell me everything you, you know. Teach me... Um, what do we see about Saul? Verse 20. Want me to read it? Verse 19 and 20, yeah. All right, for, some, for some days uh, he, he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the Son of God. Now we don't know what some days mean. Probably not a ton of days, a week, two weeks maybe. And as soon as he's strong enough, what does he do? He goes to the synagogue. Um, so what we see, and, and this is something I want to be sure to point out, what we see pre-Yeshua to some extent continues post-Yeshua. In other words, the, the super dynamo that Saul was the, the uh, fierce, absolutely fierce individual that he was, um, the Lord recruits that into the service of the kingdom. And that's the thing he does with all of us. Once we relinquish control and invite him, he will take who we are and he will invest it uh, for his purposes. Yeah, Connie? Despite what he had done, that's what I don't get. I mean, I, that was pretty heinous it, what it, he, he did. It was horrendous. In fact, uh, Paul himself, from time to time, wakes up and says, um, Lord, uh, I, I still can't get over it. In fact, in in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to himself almost like an abortion. It's, it's a very weird very weird language he says uh, that Yeshua appeared to all these people and then to me one who is like uh, a premature birth 
ektroma, which very strange language. In other words, I'm 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 the, the last thing, the most bizarre thing you would have expected for Yeshua to have selected. Yeah, what he did was horrendous, but what he was doing it because of his love for. The God, the God he knew at that time, though, right? The right. passion that he had. And that's what you're saying is the passion shifted over to Yeshua, understanding right. that, that same passion. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, the same volcano within Saul before Yeshua is what you find with him after he comes to know Yeshua and he's filled with the Spirit. Uh, To give you an, to give you another example, um, well, I, I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Um, Paul goes through all this amazing, unbelievable amount of stuff. I want we, we have to look at Second Corinthians um, eleven twenty eight to thirty. Uh, excuse me, twenty eight. Let me try that again. Twenty three to twenty eight. Second Corinthians eleven twenty three to twenty eight. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Ricardo. All right. Are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? I'm talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. You want me to continue? Please. To twenty-eight. To twenty-eight? Okay. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was uh, shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from... My own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in cities, in the cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many, many a sleepless night, in hunger, thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from those things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the church. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Now, I I would have said, okay, God, maybe one of those. <laughs> uh, and by the way, why does he say 40 lashes minus one? You stop at 39. You stop at 39, but why? Why do you stop at 39, not 40? The Lord's was 40. Huh? The Lord's was 40 lashes and he didn't want to take on what? No. Well, 40 is a significant number ah, in the Bible. 40 is a very, very significant number. Moses went up to the mountains for how long? 40 days and 40 minutes. Israel was in the desert how long? 40 years. So this is part of Jewish thinking. You don't want to go there because 40 is like a, a number, a very special number, like a number of completion. So you beat the tar out of a person with 39 lashes uh which is almost the same as giving him 40, but you have to stop it at 39 because that's symbolically a, a, a number of incompletion. Uh, and he gets that five times. That's like 200 lashes at the, on different occasions. Doesn't this whole list come back to Acts 9, verse 16? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Yeah. That whole list just bang. Yeah, and and he and yet in Second Corinthians four seven he says our uh, light affliction, which is just for a moment, it, it it produces great stuff. And you go, light affliction? <laughs> for a moment? For a moment? I mean this is something that can kill a person several times over. Uh, so what kind of a person would say, I've been beaten five times, 39 lashes, been beaten by the Romans, I've shipwrecked. What kind of a person would say that? Only a person endowed by God to be abused. 
purpose. It's that, it's the divine, but it's also the kind of personality that this guy was. Mm -hmm. Most yeah. people would have just given up and died. Yeah. You're looking at someone who was a Mack truck several times over. <laughs> Very patient. Um, I, like maybe like it's a little Toyota. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're not talking a little Toyota here. <laughs> they, they can take a beating, but still go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Uh, and I like how he breaks it down. He talks about all these physical things that happen to him, and he's like, "But on top of that, there's this daily pressure. I'm concerned for all of you guys." Right. Yeah, and by the way, he got harassed by every city that he went to. His uh, opponents came and tried to undercut him by saying, "This guy is no apostle. You shouldn't listen to him. He was not part of the twelve with Yeshua, and who he is after all." And so he has to spend a bunch of time talking about uh, validating his apostleship. And so, yeah, he is dealing with all kinds of stuff. Um, and so. We absolutely have to look at the thorn in the flesh, and so let's turn to that. Second uh, Corinthians twelve verse seven. Twelve seven. Yeah, and uh, I think we need a few verses before and after. Uh, Do you want me to read it, please? Uh, seven to. Uh, let's see. Why don't Why don't you uh, read it all the way up to ten? Uh, start at, at verse one. Verse one, all the way up to ten. Yeah. All right. I must go on boasting. Through there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man. In Christ, who's 14 years ago was caught up to the third to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though, through, if I should wish to boast, I would, I would not be a fool. For, I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and or excuse me, a thorn was given given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your we in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest upon me for the sake of christ then i am content with weaknesses insults <coughs> hardships persecution calamities for when i am weak then i am strong okay now, there are more questions here that you can shake a stick at. Okay, there are things we probably know, things we don't really know for sure. What does that mean that he was caught up into heaven? <coughs> well, possibly he had an out-of-body experience, near-death experience. Uh, remember when he was stoned, they left him for dead. We don't know exactly how long he appeared to be dead, or was clinically dead. Um, and he was caught up into into heaven, and and was given these incredible visions uh, of what heaven is like. He's referring to himself, there. Yeah, yeah. He's speaking in the third person. I know this guy well. This guy is is Paul, um, and he said that 
God wanted to make sure that he would not get arrogant. Now, usually when people read this passage, they say, inquiring minds want to know what the thorn in the flesh was. Except, that's not where the emphasis is in this passage. To keep me from being arrogant is, is re- re- repeated twice in, in, the Gre- in, in the Greek text here, which means that that's where, where God parks. In other words, he's saying, you saw something so incredible that perhaps you got up in the morning and you were about to get stupid and open your mouth and talk about it, and I want to make sure you don't ever do that. And so, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. What does that mean? Their theories ad infinitum. Uh, A, it is something that Paul attributes both to Satan and to God at the same time. It was given to me by God through Satan. Weird. Um, In other words, God gave Satan permission to torment him somehow. Uh, We don't know how. I mean, you get an example like that in Job. I mean, yeah, yeah, where they made a bet, you know. That's that's. It's pretty common, I guess, uh, for him to think that way. Then, uh, possibly. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Some some people some people think it was spiritual. I don't believe so. Some people think it was physical. I'm inclined to think it was something physical. One of the theories, and it is just that, it is a theory, that perhaps uh, he was he was given, um, n- he became nearsighted as a result. Something happened where where he became very uh, very poor sighted. It's a possible. It's a possible. Are there other parts in the scriptures that attest to that? That he had uh, some of the other helpers write for him, and that's that is not unusual. Uh, it was called amenuensis, a scribe. Uh, it was not unusual for a person to do that. However, what is unusual about about Paul is he says in, at the end of uh, Galatians, he says, "See what large letters I write." <laughs> okay, well. Um, he would, under any circumstances, if, if he had a scribe, he would want to say something, hi, this is Paul talking. But besides that, he's saying, look at large letters I'm writing, which means, who would write with large letters? Somebody who couldn't see. Someone that doesn't see well. <clears throat> so, possible, thorn in the flesh could be poor eyesight, we don't know. Their theories, but but the point is, the Lord saw to it that he would Mack truck that he was, and with incredible visions, God would see to it that he would get humble. Um, And Paul gets it. He says, God uses me, pot of clay that I am, um, for all kinds of incredible stuff. Um, when I'm weak I know that, that it has to be the power of God that kicks into action and so when I am weak I actually say okay God this is not a bad thing because I have to depend on you to bring in the power not something we, we like because we want to feel like you know I'm strong, yeah, Ricardo. So he had a problem because of his the, because of his arrogance. He he had a problem of, of actually not depending on God fully. Probably is uh, that fair to say at uh, times? Uh, I'm not sure that we can say that he really got arrogant. Perhaps it was like like a preemptive thing on God's part. I want to make sure you don't get arrogant. So because of that, I'll see to it that you don't get arrogant. Getting uh, fat. I mean, he's getting he's getting persecuted like crazy. So I'm assuming that he has to he has no choice but to depend on God. So you know, look, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I'm just uh, saying. Of just, course, it's not a bad thing. But remember, he's human. Yeah, yeah. he's human. And Paul admits the fact that 
you know, like everybody else, I sin, I'm tempted, and so on and so forth. Uh, the passage I really like about Paul uh, is where he gets depressed. In Romans? Is it Romans? No, it's it's in in Corinth in Second Corinthians chapter one. I know this is kind of uh, sick, but Second oh, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Corinthians chapter one. Um, And uh, verse uh, verse eight, Connie. <clears throat> For we, how far? Oh, just verse eight. Okay. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our trouble that happened in Asia. Keep going. Yeah, pl- please keep going. Okay. We were under great pressure, so far beyond our strength, that we despaired even of living. Keep going? Yeah, verse 9. In fact, we had uh, within ourselves the death sentence, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Okay. So here you have Mr. Mack truck. Momentary light affliction. I'm beaten five times by the, by by my own people. I'm beaten by the Romans. I'm shipwrecked. Uh, I'm hungry, etc., etc. Light stuff. And then something happens in the province of Asia, probably in Ephesus, uh, because he refers to that in in First Corinthians 15, where he says, "Even if I uh, fought with wild, wild lions." In other words, wild animals. In other words, something was there that was pretty awful. Uh, And so you get the impression that something happened in Ephesus that was so bad that Mr. Mactruck despaired of life. Now think about that. He's not saying it was so bad that I said, okay, Lord, take me. He says, I'm despaired of life. I'm done. He's broken. He's broken. That's exactly it. Um, and I believe that that's there to simply remind us that a guy like Paul had his moments Um, and and that God did amazing unbelievable things but but yet um, he had his moments so uh, we have uh, just a few minutes. Uh, to take turn to uh, Acts chapter nineteen, verse ten to twelve. In fact, let's let's read through uh, to verse twenty. And Joy, if you find it, either Joy's ten to twelve, uh, nineteen ten to twelve, nineteen. Uh, read uh, 10 to 20 actually this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jewish as well as Greek people God was doing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them but some traveling Jewish exorcists also tried to invoke the name of the Lord Yeshua saying I charge you by the Yeshua whom Paul preaches Seven sons of a Jewish ruler, Cohen, Jewish ruling Cohen named Sceva? Sceva. Sceva. We're doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, I know Yeshua and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit sprang at them, subduing and overpowering all of them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jewish and Greek people. Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Yeshua was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed came confessing and recounting their practices. And many of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together in a heap, burning them before everyone. They totaled the value of the books and found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing in power and prevailing. Okay. So what's, what's going on here? How would you describe the picture here? 
And if you talk about the hankies, I'm going to throw something at you. <laughs> That's pretty jaw-dropping jaw experience. I mean, witnessing something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and what, do, what do people, when they read this, what do they gravitate towards? It's the hankies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and you have radio preacher saying, I'm sending you sending you a, a handkerchief that, that has been prayed over. You touch it and God is going to do tremendous things in you. Uh, what's the problem with that? Idolatry. Well, okay. Uh, you put your faith in the I am, like you said, idolatry rather than God, right? Because okay. the Catholic Church well, does that too. They pray to relics, right? Well, people are trying to take advantage they see something good happening, so they jump in there with a scheme to get it for themselves. And that's the sons of Sceva. Yeah. And the context is that God was doing great things through Paul's hands, and mm -hmm. that's what the focus was on, is that the mighty things of God were happening. It, it's that, but, but again, even that misses the point that the point was not the signs and wonders, spectacular as they were, it was because people came to faith. That's the point. Uh, and that's something that we see through Yeshua's ministry. We see through Peter and the other apostles. We see through Paul that the signs and wonders are given not for their own sake, or certainly not to titillate us and so where we go, wow, look at this, isn't that cool? But the signs and wonders are always given to validate the Word of God. In other words... The Word of God is spoken, and there's power that accompanies it so that people realize that, that the Word is legitimate. Because if you, people, people uh, zoom in on the handkerchief, they miss the last couple of lines in that statement, and the Word of God grew and... And? Didn't hear you. Prevailed. Prevailed. The Word of God prevailed. Okay, what does that mean? The Word of God prevailed. One. Sir? It wins. It's a winning word. It, 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 it won. Exactly. It won specifically how? Over the enemy. In this case. Over the enemy uh, to, 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 to bring people to salvation and including people were highly engaged in the occult. They burned their books, the magic books, and the magic books totaled, what did they say? 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver. What does that tell you about the practice of the occult in Ephesus? Good business. It was, it was a big business. And, and we're not just talking about business, but think about if that many people are engaged in it, what does that tell you about the power of evil in that city? It's pretty strong. Yeah. And so Paul is there speaking the word of God um, and, and God does incredible things. Why? In order for the power of evil to be broken in that place. So when, when people want to act idiotic and say, here's my hanky, they missed the context, they missed the fact that God was doing incredible things so that the Word of God would grow and prevail. So when we want God to do big stuff, it always has to be accompanied by our desire to see God do big stuff through His Word. People would hear the Word of God, they would embrace it, they would be transformed coming to the kingdom of God which is what you see in this this crazy place called Ephesus and besides the occult you had this uh, rank uh, worship of the goddess uh, Diana that that in Greece sophisticated Greece it was it was more mellow they didn't believe much but here she was like the queen of heaven wasn't it a port? Port city or something like that. Ephesus was a port yeah. city. So there, there had to have been like crazy prostitution, a lot of all 
garbage there, a lot of trade. All kinds of stuff. And in addition to being a port city, it also was not a crossroads like I-70 and I-25. Did they consider Greece Asia? No. No, 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 no. When they mention Asia, they're really talking about China or something. No, 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 no. no. They're talking about Asia Minor, which is primarily oh, you to- yeah, Turkey you at this Turkey. point. Okay. So, so the the people in in Asia Minor uh, were pretty rank idol worshippers. They they believed this stuff. The people in Greece, in Athens, for example, were so sophisticated. They you talked about Zeus and and Athens, but it was like no big deal. Uh, so Ephesus has that and then has the occult um, and all of that and that's where Paul comes in and, and he preaches and people hear now he doesn't just say one word and bingo everybody he, he's there for a long time but uh, the word of God God does awesome things as, as people hear and even the Occultic practitioners, the 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 uh, sorcerers, and different people like that are are overcome, and and they come to faith. They throw all the stuff out to follow Yeshua, and that, folks, is is um, what God has been doing to this guy. They had to have been so poor in spirit and everything like that. They had to have been torn down and oppressed and kind of. You know, like imprisoned by that kind of system. You know what I mean? Just, absolutely, just, absolutely. It must have been really bad. It must have been like a real bad cesspool over there in Ephesus. Uh, we don't need a whole lot of imagination. Uh, you know that this is like New York and San Francisco <laughs> uh, combined and and uh, on steroids. No. <laughs> uh, so all that to say is, God takes this guy who is a dynamo, a powerhouse, and he knocks him off his donkey, he gets a hold of him, he gives him all these gifts, but he says to him, you're going to suffer. And does all kinds of things. And remember, he goes from place to place to place to place, and people come into the kingdom. Uh, So next next week we'll, we'll do Paul 2, and we'll look at how he spoke to different audiences and also some of what he has to say in the sermon. So let's uh, pause and uh, hermano, you please finish for us. Yeshua, our heavenly Father, we ask that you go with us as we leave here. We thank you for our rabbi. Thank you for the lesson. In Yeshua's name, Amen.